Blog Talk Radio. tonight with my co-host Amanda. Hi Amanda. Hi Elle. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And we are absolutely thrilled tonight to be joined by Dana Bowman, who is the author of Bottled, A Mom's Guide to Early Recovery. Hi Dana, how are you? Hi, I am great. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, We just, we're going to Get right into the show in a moment, but we did want to talk a little bit about, um, actually Amanda and I are are really privileged to know Dana personally through an online community that we've been on for a while now, and um, Dana's, when did the book, when did it come out, Dana? It came out about a month ago? Yes, it actually just came out two and a half weeks ago officially, so. Oh, two and a half weeks ago, yes. Brand new, and it is currently number one in the recovery um, section on Amazon, which is a huge accomplishment, and we're so excited. And um, I was privileged also to be able to read an advanced copy of Dana's book and write a little blurb for the cover. So it's been uh, it's something that I read a, a few months ago, and I immediately fell completely in love with it. It's going to be it's a book that's going to help so many people. Um, and I wanted to read just a, a brief description about. Um, I think it was actually something from the book's cover that I think describes this your book really well. It says, punctuated by potent laugh-out-loud sarcasm, Bottled offers practical suggestions on how to be a sober, present-in-the-moment mom one day at a time and provides much-needed levity on an issue too often treated with deadly seriousness. And one of the things that I loved the most about the book really was that it's, you know, you know that we're passionate here about breaking the stigma of alcoholism and addiction and spreading the word about recovery um, and it is a serious topic, and there's so much heartache, and there's so many difficult moments involved in the journey to getting sober. Um, and your book is poignant and raw and vulnerable and honest, but it is also funny, and it makes it so <laughs> relatable and so approachable. And uh, you know, you do get to a point where if you if you can't laugh, you're going to cry. And um, so I I've, I've read it twice now actually, and I just think it's absolutely amazing. And um, we'll provide wow, some links to people twice? at the end. And <laughs> twice I did. I did. I read it well, twice, and and awesome. um, we'll we'll direct people to how to how to how to purchase the book at the end of the show. Um, but we thought it might be kind of nice to start with you, just to tell us a little bit about yourself and about your story, and then we'll move into talking about the book a little later on in the show. So we'll just turn it over to you, and you can and share a little bit sure. about your story. That would be great. Oh sure, it's always my favorite topic. It's myself, so. <laughs> start out with I was born and <laughs> no mm-hmm. I'm not going to go that far back but I I really <laughs> I love sharing my story because I think a lot of it will sound a lot like um, a lot of the listeners and I always get that when I when I tell it um oh gosh born in the burbs raised by um a married mom and dad, but they uh, they had some issues. My father is a recovered alcoholic, so I'm a child of an alcoholic, and um, grew up pretty much the most type A has to be on the top of the dean's list, straight A student. Um, I was I went to high school in the 80s, so if you saw my yearbook picture, I had the best biggest bangs, Laura Ashley outfit, like everything about <laughs> me looked just so cute and perfect and perky um, on the outside. And <clears throat> that um, demeanor or facade uh, worked for a really long time. I maintained that through college. I did great, got a job um, teaching, really did great at that. I was always just, you know, lauded by 
my employers is, you know, I'm such a great teacher and all that. And I don't say that to sound like I'm really um, tooting my own horn because at the same time, basically, during all of this, um, I was harboring a huge problem with anxiety and depression that just kept growing and growing and growing the whole time. But I was, like, completely unaware slash unable to deal with it in any way. Um, So... uh, there were lots of ways that I tried to get around it at that point. Some codependency, some really stupid relationships, love, food, you know, all of it. Didn't really get into the joys of drinking until actually past um, my 20s and 30s, which is kind of different, I think, for some. But um, So, you know, once I hit my 30s, I had my own home. Everything was still seemed to be really perfect. Except I wasn't married. That was really bugging me. Uh, And I started drinking a lot. And I could just remember always driving around in my car um, after work. And I will never forget the sound of my car always had a clinking sound. And the reason for that was because there were always bottles in my car, um, bottles that I had bought, bottles that I was recycling. Um, It just... That sound forever. Now when I hear that sound, like if I have a, my neighbor down the street, um, when I hear her take out her recycling, I hear that clinking sound. I'm like, mm, oh yeah, I know what that mm-hmm. is. I hear that sound. And it's it's so weird how it just totally takes me back to this. When I got out of work and I would hop into my Jeep and I would look over and see those bottles sitting there waiting for me, it was like this little part of me was like, okay, all right, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, and at about the the 30s and the 30s, that's when I started doing all the fun things like trying to go to different liquor stores so that people wouldn't, you know, do the old cheers like, Norm, when you walk in the door, they, they, you know, I tried to switch my liquor stores up so that I wouldn't be recognized. I started switching what I was drinking, um, I never was really hitting it hard enough at that point to be like drinking in the morning or anything, but I had all these other little tiny little rules in place. Um, and I do talk about that in the book. Like, it, it, My anxiety at this point was really um, kind of off the charts. Uh, but part of the way that I managed my anxiety, I think, was how I managed my drinking. It was sort of like a control thing for me, and if I could control that, then it seems like everything else was going to kind of fit into place. And then, of course, mm-hmm. once I did drink, oh, my gosh, I could pound it. But... Strangely enough, none of that really seemed to be affecting my life, um, just my soul, <laughs> but but not anything else on the exterior um, for quite a while, even into um, the first year of my marriage. It was it was all just kind of fun, and um, I still wasn't doing, you know, I wasn't blacking out, I wasn't, um, like, dancing on tables, that's, that's another chapter in the book. I didn't really have, like, all these, what I thought totally off the hook drunken behaviors in place. So, of course, I just thought I was, you know, totally fine. And um, the first year of my marriage, as most first years of marriages are, sucked sometimes. So, <laughs> it was so hard. And and yet, it was so wonderful. Like, it was so up and down. And we were so in love. And we were so stupid. And just the whole thing was a mess. And um, my drinking just kind of took off at that point. Um, we had some fights. I can remember there were a couple of fights where the word, words, you need to stop or you need to slow down were kind of thrown around, but I just ignored it and thought, it's all him <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. not me, and I, and I moved on. Um, and then we moved and I got a new job and all this other turmoil started. I mean, it really was kind of like, my higher power just kept saying, fine, okay, I'm going to add this, and I'm going to add this, and I'm going to add this to your life. When are you going to crumble, you know? And mm-hmm. guess what? <laughs> this makes it sound so bad. I'm just going to say it how I sometimes I feel. What caused the deck of cards to fall? Uh, two babies right there. Those little, sweet little babies just took me out. They took me out, and... um cut me off at the knees. I, I had postpartum, which, you know, was heavily fueled also by my drinking. If I look back on it now, I often wonder how much of that was postpartum versus just, 
you know, an alcoholic behavior. I did not drink Mm -hmm. um, through my pregnancy. That's actually something I always say, like, almost proudly, but um, I don't say that proudly, like, to be sounding self-righteous or whatever. I just want to kind of clarify that. But I will tell you, I did drink while I breastfed. I I tried to do the whole pump and dump. It became this wonderful daily algorithm that I tried to work out. And again, I think, and I think I just now realized that. So thanks for the therapy, Kelly. Um, I just now realized that <laughs> all of that thinking and mulling and planning and like orchestrating the when I would nurse versus drinking and la la la, it helped me feel in control of it. And so I was in control. I didn't have a problem, right? So anyhow, right. Um, about two years after Henry was born, that's my littlest, I have two babies, and they're no longer babies. Um, they're now five and six years old. Charlie's birthday is in a week. I have nothing planned. I'm so freaked out. Um, and <laughs> seven, and it's, just, it's just the thought of that, of a seven-year-old in my house, like, uh, um, they're no longer babies. But at any rate, Charlie was about two and a half or maybe three, and I was really at the end of it. I, I had gotten up every day swearing I wouldn't drink today. I'm not going to drink today. I would get up with the hangovers. I would get up with the pounding head, the sick stomach. Um, and also I really have to say, um, sometimes I hear people saying, uh, I was just so sick of being hung over all the time. And yes, I was. That was definitely the physical problems I was having with drinking were colossal, but for me, it was a soul sickness. I really felt at the end felt like um, my soul was so wrung out and dead and lifeless that I wasn't worth, I really just didn't want to live um, because, mm-hmm. and this is the sad part of it, I even remember I wrote this in my journal and I even prayed it and said, God, I can't quit drinking, but I can't keep drinking. And when I got mm-hmm. to that place, and, you know, I'm about five years into my marriage. I have two little kids. And all of a sudden, or it seems like all of a sudden, I am stuck with this addiction. Like it just slapped me upside the head one day. And I realized, holy crap, I really can't quit. Like I had tried. I had done all the little tricks to try and quit. I I tried to just drink on the weekends. I tried to just drink one glass, which actually is rather comedic because I can remember trying to find the biggest damn glass yeah. I could find. <laughs> I think <laughs> we I all did. The pouring and the, yeah, and the glug, 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 glug. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of glugs for one glass, but I said one glass. I mean, and here I am, this supposedly intelligent woman and super smart, supposedly, who's pouring a gigantic glass of wine because she made the rule that she could only have one glass. I mean, who does that crap? Well, mm-hmm. alcoholics, that's what <laughs> we do. That yep. So all those little things had been, I'd been trying them and to no avail. And I really realized one day, I, I'll never forget, I was sitting in the train room watching my kids play. They were so intent on what they were doing in the moment, happy, playing their silly trains. And I'm sitting there wanting to, like, play on my desk. <laughs> and, I mean, I laugh now because so far from who I am now, but mm. it was such a paradox to be sitting there looking at these sweet little things and just thinking, I need to be gone, like, I, I, I just need to, like, be gone. So, um, that being said, I, I still continue to drink, uh, probably for another good six months, um, until one day I finally, and, and the, my actual recovery story is so bizarre, um, that I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but and I explained it at more length in the book, but it was really kind of one of those things where um, it kind of happened to me. I didn't really want to even quit or had this big plan to quit. It just sort of happened because of my uh, physical reaction to some wine that I drank that night. And then from there, I, uh, with the help of few very good friends and my husband I did get a little tribe together um and got myself into some group therapy and a group meeting that next day um and that on top of what what I've been doing prior which I've been stalking 
um, online recovery groups. I had been stalking um, all the blogs about, um, like, don't get drunk on Fridays, those kind of things, and just reading them over and over and over, obsessively reading my favorite recovery books, which, ironically, I had bought back in my 20s. I had all Mm -hmm. these books about people getting sober in my 20s, which I hadn't even thought at that point. I just found them fascinating and loved them. I loved like Anne Lamott, I loved, um, oh, what's her face? The one that's always made. Caroline Knapp. That's it. I just love those books, and I don't even know why I bought them when I was 20, that I guess I knew something. Well, I went and found them and had been reading them obsessively, so I had all this stuff kind of in place, and then um, whammo, I, I, I started on the journey um, of getting sober. And, boy, howdy, did I... Oh, Lord, did I just say boy howdy? <laughs> <laughs> I just said boy howdy. Um, all of those <laughs> things kind of had to be in place and blended together. You can't, I couldn't have done it without a big um, gathering of resources and people around me. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing I was going to say is that I, I still remember sitting in a meeting. I was in a 12-step meeting, and I was crying and I think I cried pretty much like the first four months or so. Um, and I just remember thinking or saying, I just, I want to be all better. Like, why is this not working? This is really hard. And and I realized, or someone said it to me probably, um, something along the lines of, you know what, the not drinking part was just the the lid on the canister of crap. <laughs> and now you have to deal with all the crap. And so, you know, I'm still dealing, but it's mm-hmm. just been getting progressively easier a little bit at a time, day by day, since then. And that's my story. Oh, that's awesome. Dana, I, I thank you. And I relate to, I mean, it's it's always, it never ceases to amaze me when I hear somebody else tell my story. I mean, that, you know, yeah. there's people, li- yeah. thousands of people and all over told- the place living the same dark, small isolated yep. life and thinking they're the only ones doing all this crazy, insane stuff. And, you know, oh, you're not, we're not. Um, I also had, no. a, had a whole bunch of recovery memoirs that I actually hid in my underwear drawer. Like, who <laughs> who does that? You know, that who I didn't see in you, my 20s. Again, like in the late 90s, I had do. Caroline Knapp's book, A Drinking a Love Story, hidden in my underwear drawer. Because, you know, what, someone's going to discover my recovery memoir? Exactly. I mean, it just... You know, make me stop drinking because yep. I'm reading a book. I don't know, but um, yes. Yes. can I just oh, tell you, so Ellie? Much... Yeah, Dana and Ellie. I just have to tell you, I've, Dana. You, I think you know. I've known Ellie since we were nine, and she yeah. somehow you told me you had a book. I was cracking up when you said that, Dana, because Ellie, you told me you had that book, and I was like, why the hell would you have that? Like, why would you read something? <laughs> My secret. Yeah. My deep dark yep. secret, right? I'm like, who wants yeah, to read that book? Yeah, drinking buddies. Yeah. Yeah. book about those crazy people. Yeah, I love that I book. Know. It's like my, it's like my alcoholic bible. It's my favorite. So. Oh yeah. well, and back then she was really the only one that had stepped forward exactly. and written so honestly about her journey, and she was also a high achieving people pleaser, and there was so much that I related to her and her story, and. One of the things that I really admire and, and related to in your book too is that um, because it does the, the you know you you tell a lot of your story your drinking story and in the memoir also but then the main focus really is you know it's a mom's guide to early recovery and so you talk really eloquently about that transition from a drinking mom to a sober mom and one of the things that maybe we can elaborate because a lot of people that listen to our show are you know trying to stop or newly stopped or newly in recovery, I mean, we put the drink down and we feel like a walking exposed nerve everywhere we go. And the only thing that we've really done initially at least is eliminate the biggest problem, which is the drinking. But all the other stuff that we were hiding from or running from or numbing out, the stress of being a mom, the you know job stress, marriage stress, the stress of being alive, is still there, and so here we are without our anesthesia and still having to cope with the things that were um you know and a lot of in a lot of us you you talk about depression and anxiety in your book too, and that's another part that I relate to is the self medicating over things like depression and anxiety and so 
we have to marshal the resources and the tools and the and the courage to be able to stay sober and sort through all those things that we were trying to drink around and over and through. Yeah. Um, so maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. You know, on that, like what what did that feel like for you? You speak so <laughs> honestly about both. You know how. Being a mom is joyous and wonderful, and you love your children. All of this has nothing to do about how much we love our children, but it's no. you know overwhelming and, and stressful and hard. And so, what was that like for you when you were early, uh, newly sober, um, uh, and well, still trying to sort through all those things? The first, I just I'll never forget, and I still get it occasionally from moms that are like kind of joking, which I, I totally get. I don't get offended, but they're like, why would you ever stop drinking when they're little? Like, And mm. the thing that I remember thinking or I think someone had told me was, um, well, you know, okay, then when? Like, if I wait until they get older, um, how is that logical? Like, this just seems stupid. But, yes, I have to say, when you have little ones, I mean, the, they are crazy. Like, they just they just gnaw at you, those little cannibals. I hate them sometimes. Not all the time, just sometimes. My children are wonderful. But I really do think um, the main thing that I learned was that my rawness and my pain and the feeling of being just a huge walking exposed nerve was not, and I had to disbelieve this from what people told me and from what I read, it wasn't going to always be like this. So what I kept saying to myself was, okay, let's just kind of pretend like mommy has cancer and she's gone into the hospital. And um, so she's going to be kind of gone for a while. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I let myself um, totally unhook from my kids, but I really got very gentle with my parental instincts. I got really gentle with um, how my house looked, how my kids dressed, like all of the little things. Um, that I wanted to have so tidily in place as the, quote, perfect mom, I had to shove those to the side and just really be like, you know what, I am a mess, and today we're going to watch PBS for like eight freaking hours straight. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe not that much. But but there were days where I really had to be um, cognizant of, I just kept have to, having to say to myself, if I was sick and in the hospital and there was a babysitter here, okay, um, the babysitter would feed them and clothe them, and she'd probably love on them a little. Um, and they would be okay, okay? And mm-hmm. that's what she needed to do, okay? Feed them, clothe them, love on them a little, and then, you know, get yourself to a meeting if you can and get some space and just keep saying it's not going to be forever. I really have to say the first, like, two or three months, were really difficult, and I had a great support network, and not all the listeners will have that. Please don't use that as an excuse if you're still wondering, but I had people who would watch my kids. I had my husband who was pretty good at coming home and taking over, although, you know, after a while, I think after about two months in, he was like, okay. (laughs) We had Mm -hmm. a big fight about that. I mean, and that's just life. Like, people around you aren't going to always carry the weight for you um so that was another thing i had to learn how to establish boundaries big time and not feel guilty if i had to say i've got to go to a meeting tonight i'm sorry but um you're you're on it tonight and and just say it and go and if there was going to be a fight or a fuss fine but this is life or death for me yeah and if, if those babies want their mom to be around not just three months but for, like, forever, then I need to get this in place. So that was my main thing at the beginning was just to keep gritting my teeth and saying, you know, like when you're running that, I run, and so, you know, if a run really hurts, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to get to the one-mile mark, and then I'm going to get to the two-mile, and I know once it's three miles, I'll be done because that's usually all Mm -hmm. I can do. And I just knew that it would get better after that. I don't know how I knew it. But I think we all know when we're doing something that is making our soul so sick and tired and sad that if we cease to do that thing that makes our soul so sick and tired and sad, eventually it will get better. Um, But there were even days where I remember looking at my husband going, I was a better mom when I drank. Bam, I yelled at him all day long. And he would look at me and say, that's a lie. 
that is a straight up lie. Um, but I do. I have some really bad memories of some days where I'll, I'll tell you, I screamed, I yelled, I had a big fit about some stupid game they were playing where they spilled little cherry pieces all over my damn house and I got so mad and I just had a fit. And um, you know what? So what? We are still together. Mm. We're still stronger. And the yeah. mommy doesn't drink anymore. So I threw the cherries all over the house. <laughs> and I'm still well, finding them. It looks like... Hi ho, Cheerios! The game from hell. If any of you have it, oh, get rid it of is. It. it is that and Legos. I know. Well, it's a really Tiny these are really important things. That, <laughs> cherry bombs is what they are. It's a really really important thing that you bring up with this too, though, because I mean you touched upon perfectionism, which is something a lot of us do. You know, we keep polishing up that outside more and more and more because the insides are crumbling. And we're desperate that nobody can see that. And so, and I love how you put that as sort of a form of control when we feel out of control. So perfectionism and self-care are probably the two things that we are the worst at in our act of alcoholism. And they are, you know, ridding ourselves of perfectionism and diving into self-care are probably two of the most important things to do in early recovery. So it's it's almost as though we have to develop the skill of doing what feels counterintuitive and uncomfortable. You know, that our kids aren't mm-hmm. going to die if they watch four hours of Barney or if they, you know, mm-hmm. if we're not there to entertain them every moment. And, um, you know, kind of building a cocoon of self-forgiveness around ourselves just so we can get to that one mile mark and two mile mark. I mean, do whatever we need yeah. to do to get to the point where we feel more stable and cultivate yeah. that self-forgiveness when we're full of shame. We're full of shame for the things that we've done or haven't done or you know, neglected. Um, and so, again, it's just, it's, it's, I think that's why it's really difficult in early recovery and particularly for moms who um, have that extra layer of guilt that we're supposed to be all of these superhero things to our children. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We, we have to go the other direction for a little while <laughs> against the yeah. grain of what society tells us we're supposed to do if we're going to get sober. And it's really mm-hmm. uncomfortable well, and it's a little hard, too, because for me, that shame thing I found out later for me was something I ended up kind of using. And I would use the shame thing, I'm so horrible, I'm such a sucky mom, um, kind of almost to get, I don't know how to put it, but it was sort of like my drinking. Like, it, it was it oh, became yeah. my booze, that, that self-pity martyr crap. I would just Mm -hmm. dissolve into tears and do that a lot. Now, I'm not saying, though, you know, this is hard to talk about without making, I'm not saying anything all or nothing black or white because there is nothing wrong with having a day where you dissolve into tears and just you suck and everything sucks, and I get that. Those can be very cathartic, and that's fine, and I still do them. Um, But at times I would hold on to the shame of all I had done to my children as almost an excuse to go back to drinking or at least an excuse for me to act like an alcoholic. Like the fact that I wasn't drinking didn't make me not act like an alcoholic. I was still... In heavy into all those behaviors, so um, so that was something too. I had to kind of start dealing with, and I'm still dealing with. But mm-hmm. yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought that. No, was no, that's that's exactly what good. I'm referring to. I have a good friend of mine who's been yeah. sober for 80 million years. He says to me, Ellie, being the worst person is just as selfish as being the best. Exactly. She's, she's right. That's awesome. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's and it's in touch. And, and I remember some old timer telling me that at a meeting once and just saying, you know, down the road, you're not going to sit here and cry the whole time. You're going to remember this and go, oh, weepy Dana. Like, it, it, there's a part of us that wants the weeping because I, I think a lot of me was stuck at that little girl stage with the immaturity. Um, they say sometimes in therapy that you are stuck at the age where you really started where your drinking really started taking off so I'm like Mm -hmm. at 23 I'm like still 23 and um, it just scares me to death because 23 was like oh really Um, I (laughs) couldn't manage a checkbook (laughs) at 23 so I I really think um, I kind of enjoy those moments where I could just uh, you know revel in the awfulness of Dana and um, now I can't really do that as much anymore. Every once in a while I can have a pity party and really, you know, gross myself out by how awful I am. But 
I'm really, you know, I really am able to see that more now and realize that even on my awfulest mom days, it's, you know, the kids are alive. They got, like I always say, I fed them. They're eating. They're sleeping. They're eating. They're sleeping. It's good. Well, we we have talked a lot, too. Go ahead. That's all right. Sorry, that was the other thing. I just thought of the other thing I did a lot, which is I just said sorry a lot. And I, I think sometimes at three or two, two and a half, three years old, you think they don't know. Like, they don't know. They know what I'm sorry means. And they, you know, now even, five and six years old, there are numerous times when their mom sits down with them and says, okay, look, I was really grumpy and I'm really sorry. And do you forgive me? I think yeah. that part of it where I just, con- you know, kind of came to them. And it wasn't this whole, like, you know the people that say I'm sorry for everything. It wasn't kind of that. I would I would attach it to a specific event, like when I threw the cherries all over, and I would say, okay, look, this was out of line. My behavior was bad. I'm really sorry. Do you forgive me? And even at three years old, I mean, it's the most adorable thing. You have a little three-year-old going, I forgive you, Mama, and then they throw their arms yeah. around you, and the life, you know, life is good. But I really do feel, as cute as that was, that there's something real there with their... I don't know. I think they really kind of got it. And so that's the other part. Is you just have to be authentic and say, Oi, I'm really grumpy, guys, and I'm I'm sorry, but I'm going to go out back and, you know, and I'm sorry I'm being so grumpy and cross and just get it out there with you, and then I'm going to take a break, and then it'll be better. So. Well, it's it's modeling really important behavior, and this is one of the things that I've learned in my journey, especially you know, the first time I got sober and even after relapse, is that they're they're not just paying attention to all the things that we think we do really well. We're also modeling for them how to come back from adversity, how to apologize, how to yeah. help them differentiate. Bad behavior does not make a bad person. In, in my mind, right. forever and ever, bad behavior meant you were bad. You know, right. you drink too much, you're a bad person. And so by saying I'm sorry for a specific event or throwing cherries around the house, you're you're showing them the difference between a bad decision and bad behavior and being a bad person. Yeah, and being and a bad so person. And just being humble. Tons of little you know? gifts hidden in that journey. There's tons of little gifts in coming back yeah. from that dark place of being able to show your children, you know, we can demonstrate how you can rise after you fall. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not about showing them how to be perfect because that's impossible. Yeah. Nobody yep. can do that. Yeah. yeah. Now, how do you talk to your children today about recovery? I mean, they're still young yet, and so, I mean, they must yeah, see you going out to meetings or things, or how does that work in your yeah. house? I just explain to them, at this point, we had a really interesting conversation, and they're always in the car. I don't know why, but that's when it gets really deep. I don't know why. So anyhow, my boys are in the back seat, and then Charlie says, Mommy, um, is this, why do you go to meetings? He asks me this. Um, he's never point blade asked me that already, and so I had this moment of panic. Um, was it like the scary music is <laughs> cueing in my head? And I'm like, oh no! And uh, I just prayed, and because I needed like instant wisdom, and I prayed for the right words, and I said, okay, I, you know how mommy used to drink, and she had a special glass, and she used to drink that liquid that was always in that special glass and Charlie remembers and he said yeah and I said well I drank that way too much and I had to stop um so I did I even went into that and told him about the actual alcohol part but then they said and so I go to meetings now um to just help myself and talk to other people about why you know I uh don't want to drink that anymore um and then I kind of explained habits I said you know how sometimes when you are really mad at Henry and you're acting up with him um, and you start to get into a fight or a tussle, it's really hard to get out of that and not be grumpy anymore. I said, that's like a habit. Once you start it, it just keeps going and going, and um, you can end up having a really grumpy day. Or there's like the same thing with TV and all that. And they got that. And said, well, that's kind of where mm-hmm. I am. I needed to break a habit, and um, and this is what's helping me. You know, going to these meetings, talking to other people, um, and then therefore not trying to continue that habit. Now, the, the the weird part to that is that Charlie, at six, is like, well, I know what alcohol is. And he somehow has probably heard this at school or something about what it is and what it does. And he, being six, was very black or white. He's like, if you drink that, that's really bad. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. yes, it is. <laughs> um, 
but um, it was almost, it, it made me almost feel kind of ashamed because it was like he was very judgmental about it. But I get that's part of being being the six, you know, that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, because I kind of remember this from my childhood. When my dad would tell me about his meetings, we never really talked about it very much. Um, but I just got the sense from him that it was like alcohol, bad, stay away, no, like really big you know, scary, scary, fire, like, just avoid, whatever. And um, I kind of like to try not to go that route as they get older, maybe to explain it a little more with, you know, my story, I guess, and explain mm-hmm. my life a little more and, and just divulge more as, as time is needed. But the main thing I I want to try and do is wait for because it's really hard for Dana because Dana loves to talk, but wait and not interject and just wait for their questions. And that yeah. will be tough. Well, that, And that's going to be tough, though, because, you know, unless we have a really super relationship, kids won't ask you questions. So we have to be, you know, I have to be in that place with them where we're really open and honest. And I think that will happen, you know, if mm-hmm. things keep trucking along and, and we have a, a pretty – open relationship now but yeah i gotta try and wait for their questions instead of sitting them down at 16 sometime and going okay no this is alcohol don't ever touch right. it you will explode on impact um <laughs> and, and I, i'm gonna try that now now here's the other weird part and that is that now mommy has a book and I right. on tv and blah 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 so all of this Mike, uh, you know, I know sometime soon somebody's going to come up to Charlie or Henry and be like, your mom's a drunk. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's out there. I mean, it's just out there. And, you know, so I'm hoping it doesn't go that route, but it could. And if it does, that's okay. I'm really not too worried because I think that will just merit more questions, and that's okay. So. Yeah. Well, I, what think, I, think I it, mean, it, it, go ahead, Amanda, sorry. Oh, what I was going to say, what I think is really cool, um, Dana and and Ellie, you know, I'm not a parent, but I just, you know, love how you've already started, you know, talking to your children. And I think it's, um, I think that uh, parents that are in recovery are so much, are such better parents because you learn how to talk to your kids because you're facing something pretty big that you need to talk to them about. All right, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. it's not... Not to say better parents, but our great parents, because you know, yeah, I, you know, just having that type of a dialogue with your children about, you know, you related it to, um, you know, beating up, you know, beating up his brother, or you know, or not beating up his brother, but you know, getting getting mad and oh yeah, just, beating up his brother, it, it, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, making it something that they can relate to, you know, even at such, you know, that's a fairly young age to be having those type, yeah. of, type of talks, but making sense to them and you'll, you know, you're going to, yeah. you're going to do just fine. And I think it's, I, th- I just think it's incredible the type of dialogue that it opens up. And I think, you know, for any parents out there listening, you know, um, that's such an important thing because, you know, they've had so much shame about, you know, what they may have done while they were drinking. Um, but there's a beautiful gift on the other side of it too. Yeah, yeah. I agree. There definitely is, and I I'm a little further down the road in terms of I mean Greta, my 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 daughter and my son were five and three the first time I got sober, and we had all mm-hmm. the same kinds of conversations that you did, Dana. I talked a little bit about it, like being an allergy, you know. So if they yeah. see their dad having a beer, it's not doesn't mean that he's going to have the same problems I did, and because he he doesn't have yeah. that allergy. But as they got older, they get smarter, and I also had a you know in 2009 2010 a very public television appearance and other things that led to more questions. And now I have a middle schooler, you know, I have a 13 year old and um, it's interesting because she grew up understanding about recovery and didn't, and the, so the whole stigma of alcoholism just didn't really come into her play into her mind until she got older and understood a, she saw me relapse and that was, she saw the Mm -hmm. uglier side of the equation but when these things come up, and they do, and you know how middle schoolers can be. They're not known for their subtlety or their softened, softened <laughs> messages. Um, you know, to be able to say, like, this is a, this is why I'm out there talking about it. That you, you, People don't understand. They don't understand. And so when people say, your mom's an alcoholic, you can say, my mom's in recovery. And change mm-hmm. the dialogue to being about recovery as opposed to being about 
about drinking, yeah. but that I mean, you can't talk about being a cancer survivor without talking about cancer. You can't talk about being in recovery mm-hmm. without talking about alcoholism. But how I do see a sea change in some of the kids that are have been raised by sober parents who can say, "Well, yeah, that's part of the part of the disease." But look, there's this whole world of recovery, and that's what they're witnessing yeah. you participate in. And um, so, you know, it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable, but at least the conversations are happening, and that's what's so great about your book and, exactly. and other platforms. Yeah. And I find recovery so awesome in the sense that I had a friend of mine tell me once, and she's such a sweetie, but she's like, gosh, I wish I was in recovery. You guys all, like, are so good at talking. And, like, and I, and I had to laugh because I thought, <laughs> you know, part of me is like, yeah, like, this <laughs> This is the tools that I'm finally learning are so monumentally helpful to every part of my life, my marriage, my kids, you know, how I treat myself, my job, all of it. Um, and that is wonderful. But at the same time, I wouldn't really wish this on, you know, every person. But I do think that... It would be nice if there are easier ways to uncover those gifts yeah. probably, right? <laughs> rather than drinking your face off. read my right. book. How's that? <laughs> but I feel like a lot of times the, the stuff that I've learned, even just from a, a just from a recovery meeting, I'll come home from it, and the stuff I've learned is, like, directly applicable to how I'm going to deal with my five-year-old getting to school on time. Because mm-hmm. I know that sounds bizarre, but he is so slow and I get so impatient and there's all this stuff broiling underneath about being late and being thought of as the late, because I'm a teacher, right? So I, I'm like, I can't be late, like, that's the perfectionist part, la, la, la. So um, mm-hmm. and then I'm just channeling back to what I've learned in recovery and blah, blah, blah. And, then, and I find myself, you know, sighing heavily and going over the serenity prayer. And, and it finds it yeah. finds its niche in every part of my life now. And that that was something I learned when I first got sober. I thought it would just be the alcohol. And if I took that out, then everything else would be um, kind of the same, I guess, but better. Um, it changed everything. So, yeah. And that's not to sound scary. It changed everything in a better sense. Um, There's a lot of work. So. Well, there's a really beautiful moment in your book um, that I love where, and I, you know, I'll paraphrase it because people need to go out there and read it for themselves, but where you're still early on in your sobriety and you're I think you're watching your kids play either in a sandbox or getting really dirty or like rolling in the mud they're doing something outside mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful day yes. you just sort of say oh my god I'm I'm totally peaceful I think you yeah. even say like I had about 6 minutes of peace which is like a lot yeah. <laughs> you know like, <laughs> it lasted but how it, I do seriously remember that moment and it was literally like 6 minutes but it was still okay because it was six minutes. But it's so, it's, there's so yeah. much poignancy in that moment because when we're drinking, we we miss all of those moments. I mean, you don't get to just numb yeah. out the hard stuff. You numb out everything. You numb out the peace and the joy and everything else that you experience. And so six minutes of yeah. peace watching your kids get dirty in the backyard is is monumental because, it's yeah. you know, we're, the gifts that we start to get back are having those moments of just being fully present. And instead of looking at our children and thinking, oh, my God, they're beautiful and amazing and God-given and I suck and I need to disappear, we just get to be there mm-hmm. in those moments. And um, I love that part of your of your book. I had a similar moment just driving my kids somewhere on a Tuesday afternoon, and I, I just ha- it just hit me. I'm like, I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not angry. I'm not, I don't have a headache. I don't want to drink. I'm just being a mom in a car on a Tuesday. Like, it was peaceful and awesome. <laughs> And it lasted about Isn't that nice? minutes, but I'll Should take it. Yeah, or or yeah. Thinking about and the that's next that's thing. where recovery seeps into thing. everything. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we stop we stop over over worrying about so many different things, and yeah. so those moments are hard to describe to people who are in the throes of it and can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah. it's so totally there. Um, and I just I wanted to get back and touch on something that we always come around in almost every show. We get back to the whole idea of community. And you said something important earlier when you mentioned how mm-hmm. you know not everybody has a recovery network or a recovery system or even you know helping mm-hmm. system of babysitters or any kind of network. Yeah. And how those of us go about finding that there are so many different ways that we do that, but that the universal message is you, you really 
if you manage to figure out how to do this alone, you're you're going to be pretty unhappy. Um, yeah. And so, like, what would you? What would be some of the? What would be advice that you'd give to somebody who's listening tonight and thinking, "Oh, that's great, but look, she had all that help and all that support from people, and I don't have any of that. How do I go about finding that? What would? What would you say yeah. to them? That's how I always feel about the <clears throat> the women who do like the weight loss stories, and they're like, and I had my chef come in and train, you know, and then my personal trainer came by. I'm like, well, dang, I, you know, I'd do that too if I had all that stuff. Um, I have to say, part of it for me um, was stuff that I already mentioned, just just practical stuff where I started to gather um, the information and, and just make sure I had some tools handy. The tools that I use mainly, because I love to read, were lots of books and lots of blogs, um, real-life people that were dealing with this um, addiction that, you know, in real time. That's why I like blogs, actually, because um, I could find these people that were, you know, like talking about this at the time. Um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, meetings and group therapy. I really think it's important. Um, some people will say, well, I can't because I can't find one in my area. But there's also meetings online. There's tons of communities out there that you can attend um, via the Internet. And I've actually done those as well, and I really liked them. Um, and I, I really did find, like, I had to be kind of careful. Um, but I had, because I, I tend to have kind of an all or nothing thing about. Um, sharing information, and part of me wanted to, like, go out onto the hilltops and be like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, please help me, <laughs> um, and then I realized, you don't need to do that, like, oh, you, you don't need to do that yet, so um, I did, I found two or three trusted friends that I could talk to, and it wasn't just necessarily for childcare, um, but that happened through that, like, it, it, it was kind of organic, I got these people together and told them what was going on, what I was struggling with, um, and said, you know, this is what I'm going to be trying to do. And then kind of through that process, they started offering help. Now, uh, what if that doesn't happen? Okay, what if you don't have friends close by? Well, there's still churches. There's still places where you can get assistance that, you know, I don't know how if people if a person isn't spiritual then they probably wouldn't like my suggestion but my church saved my life so um, mm-hmm. that was another place that I went um, kind of immediately but you know if you're still stuck and you've got kids and you're a single mom and you don't have the money I get it I get that feeling but please the thing that I would say is that sometimes I hope I, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way but I think sometimes we put those hurdles up. Um, to protect our drinking. And so mm-hmm. I did the same thing because for the longest time I couldn't go stand the thought of going to a meeting because um, who would take care of the kids, you know, that kind of stuff, or who's going to um, pay for the sitter and all that. Um, we were a one-income household. How could I do that, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of realized later that some of that it was just me wanting to control it and mm-hmm. not do it, you know. So... I kept putting walls up, and then my higher power kept kind of taking the walls down and saying, yeah, you can, just try, like, just try. And it yeah. it was amazing once I actually did get myself into um, a meeting situation. I was so terrified. Um, and not all meetings are great, and some of them sucked really bad, and you would leave and be like, ugh. But some of them were so amazingly life-changing that I – my whole attitude changed, and I was going to get to that thing meeting no matter what, and it didn't matter. I mean, if I had to bring my kids with me, I brought them, and it was not – It my attitude changed. So maybe it's a perspective mm-hmm. thing. Does that make sense? Yep. It makes perfect know. sense to me. Yeah, I, and I, I think I really it all starts with that seed of, of, of finding and figuring out that you're not alone and it, in that contemplation yes, phase of reading blogs yes. and doing whatever you have to do to say, okay – I'm, my problems and my obstacles are not unique, that people can find a way around them to find that community. Yes, everybody has found a way. And I I know that, I mean, I've heard I've heard it said, well, I can't. Like you would give every suggestion and then they would bat it down. And I've done that myself in therapy. Where my therapist would be like, okay, you need to do this. And I would have like every reason why not to. And she looked at me once and said, Dana, the whole point here is that you have come up with like 30 reasons why you can't. 
Um, but that's the problem. You don't want to. That's why. Not not the third mm-hmm. reason. Because you still don't want to. Um, right. But, you know, that being said, I, I feel for the mom who's stuck in, you know, maybe in a more rural environment where there's not a lot of people around her. She doesn't go to church. She doesn't, you know, I get that. Um, but there's still places to go and still literature to read still women who are on out there on the great old interwebs that get it, and that's a place mm-hmm. to start. And I think we also see that and think, well, I don't want to be on an online meeting for the rest of my life. It won't work that way. Like, once you start the ball rolling, it the ball will keep rolling if you'll let it. Like, I think recovery is a very almost supernatural thing at times. I know that sounds really wicky and weird. But I really think, like, if we tell the universe we're going to do something good for our souls and good and holy and pure for us, the universe will respond, like, eventually and keep the ball rolling. So Absolutely. That was my well said. like, chakra moment for the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's, very it's true. true. I really feel like it's true. So I don't know. If there's any mom out there listening who's like, no, this is why I can't do it, then just contact me and I will find a way. <laughs> we'll move there and find you a meeting or find you help in some way. So, yeah. Well, we we have like we have about 10 minutes left, but I I I just wanted to switch gears and talk about the book um at the end here. I just tell me what was the seed that was planted in your mind that you were going to that you were going to write a memoir to just sort of start to happen or like what? Tell me about that process. There was no seed. It happened to me. Like I, I have to say, I really had the ultimate author experience where the publisher contacted me and asked me to write this book. And it was completely out of the blue. I had no intention. I, at that point early on, I kept writing. Um, I was trying to, Okay, let me back up, sorry. Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer. Like, I seriously had this dream that I would be the world's greatest novelist. And um, and then I became an English teacher, and I kind of just never wrote. Like, I always thought I would. I wrote really bad poetry about all the men I loved, but <laughs> nothing. <laughs> like, I never <sighs> published the drop. And I always felt kind of sad about it, and la, la, la. So anyhow, I had to become, like, a recovered alcoholic to actually have something published, which is sort of sad, <laughs> but also, you know, I guess appropriate. Um, so at any rate, after I quit teaching, um, and it all kind of happened around the same time, I, I quit teaching, I kind of I got sober around the same time. I, uh, life was just in upheaval, and strangely enough, that was the time when um, – I guess my brain just kind of went, I need to write or I'm going to go crazy. And so I started querying and getting some gigs with some some writing gigs. And that was really exciting. Um, but it was kind of funny because every time I would pitch any magazine, I'd be like, well, I can write about this, I can write about that. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm a mom in recovery. And whammo, that was always the thing. They were like, that's what we want you to write. I'm like, great. So, um, mm-hmm. so I started writing these articles and one got picked up. Um, by a big paper, and there was an interview and all this exciting stuff. It kind of went viral, and it was really cool. Well, I guess um, Central Recovery Press saw that interview, and they saw it, read the article. So they contacted me and said, would you write a book? And I still, I'll never forget, um, when I had the conversation uh, with the editor, we talked for like a good 30 minutes or so, and then at the very end, uh, I started laughing, and she's like, what? what? I said, is this a joke? <laughs> Are you thinking? <laughs> like, is this just all a big bruise? I I I like going to say this, you know, being punched or whatever. And she just laughed. I said, no, we really do. We want you to write this book. So that being said, I was thrilled. Um, and I wrote it, and it was really quite easy. I think I'd been writing it in my head longer, you know, than I actually mm-hmm. had to write it. So it really kind of just all came out of me and it it jived. It, it seemed to just really be this wonderful experience. Very um cathartic for me. There was a lot of crying. Um throughout the nights where I would go to bed and be just completely drained because like some of the chapters are really hard and um especially the stuff that where I was writing about my brother and um my brother it's in the book but he um passed away because of alcoholism and so that's in there and I explain all that. But at any rate, um, it, 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 
then it actually got published, and I was like, wow, there's a book out there. <laughs> Did you know about me? And everyone's reading. <laughs> and I kind of yeah. out, but I'm doing okay now. <laughs> I wanted to hide for a bit, but, but I'm much better now. So I was really blessed. I had this wonderful experience where um, they found me, and I, I said yes. And so there you go. I I wish I could say oh, that's it's tougher because sometimes they say that to some writers and they're like, dang, like, but it's a good thing. <laughs> it's clearly meant to be, absolutely. I yeah, so. and what kind of what kind of reception have you gotten from the book? I mean, I you, you probably hear from people who have read it and it's impacted their lives, and I mean, it's <laughs> a powerful experience. It, it's been wonderful so far. Everyone's been so sweet, and just I just can't tell you how many times I have teared up. Yours was one of them when you messaged me. Um, my just people who've read it and have just sent me messages of them reading it and the you know. And just saying it was really good, and you really hit mm-hmm. some, some points that were needed to be, you know, that needed to be hit. And that's so, see, I'm, now I'm being all misty. That's the thing. Um, I didn't know that the book would be good. And so I'm just so glad that it's helping people, and I'm so glad that it seems to be speaking to hearts that. Um, I, I wanted this book to be something where people read it and they didn't read it and go, oh how horrible, how sad. Like, they shut the book and thought, huh, okay, you know, it's doable, and it's funny, and it's mm-hmm. life, and and look at her. I mean, it, that was something about some of my writers that I love the most. They, The writers I love the most are able to talk about the hardest stuff in the world, but they can also be funny, because life is right. funny, okay? I mean... Mm-hmm. Humans are hilarious. We we're just goofballs, and so this does not have to be a death sentence. This alcoholism thing it isn't a death sentence necessarily if we get into recovery. So I don't know. That was my point, oh. and I, most people I've talked to so far have been great. And um, I think my mom hasn't read it yet, so I'll have to wait. <laughs> oh, yeah. you can go hide under a rock for a while while your mom reads it. That's yes. yeah. <laughs> Read the one the chapter about sex, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Give her a copy and just rip that whole chapter out. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great book oh. called Making Love While Sober, and that was another book I kept thinking of. Like, oh my gosh, the thought of that! Wow. So, yeah. at any rate, um, it's <laughs> tangent. It's been doing well, and I'm really, really grateful for the people who have been reading it and just telling me it's it's a blessing. Oh, well, it is fantastic, Dana. I really, I think that I have, my, my uh, recovery memoir addiction probably rivals yours, and it's it's up there with my favorites. Absolutely recommend it wholeheartedly. It's a good segue. I mean, you can get, the, I know that you can get the book on Amazon, um, yep. and is there any other place that you want me to mention where you can get it? Yes, this, the actual website for my publisher, which is Central Recovery Press, um, they have okay. a way for you to order the book through that, and I think they actually might be offering a promo at this point. I'm not sure about that, so not 100%. Um, so you can order the book off of the Central Recovery Press website or on Amazon. I know it's available via Kindle as well. That's about yes. it right now. So. Or you can come to my book yeah. signing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> See me in get a, get a, oh, there you go. Get a signed copy. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yay. Yep. And again, the name of the book is Bottled, A Mom's Guide to Early Recovery. And Dana Bowman is our guest. And um, Dana also has a really awesome blog for those of you who may not know about it yet, but you, you will because you'll go there and read it and love it. It's momsyblog.com. That's M-O-M-S-I-E-B-L-O-G.com. It's one of my favorites. Um, and we just we want to thank you, Dana, so much, not only for being a guest on the show, but for being such a courageous and bright and funny and poignant voice out there in the world of recovery because it really, I, this book is is changing lives and um, we are just really honored to have you on tonight. So thank you so much for that. Thank and you. you're welcome. I was glad welcome. talking to you guys. It was yes, so much thank fun. you, Dana. And having Amanda. a sense of humor about, you know, life, just, it, it, you know, you have to. I love that. I love that. 
Yes. Amanda's always been one that said I didn't get sober to stop having fun, and she's certainly embodied no that. Just, <laughs> this book shows it, too. We, I laugh more and more genuinely in sober than I ever, ever did when I was drinking. Amen. Absolutely one of the I biggest agree. gifts. Yep. So yep. as we close the show okay. tonight, we'd like to... Dr- direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org, and there you'll find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. And uh, head out and check out Dana's book. It's really awesome, and you won't be sorry. And then go tell all your friends how awesome it is. Um, So thank you, Dana and Amanda, and we thank everyone for listening to the Bubble Hour, and I hope you guys all have a great evening. Thanks so much. Hey, Dana. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Good night. Bye. Bye.